Uh, good morning. It's good to, to bring you God's word this morning. Um, I'm just going to switch mics here real quick. Um, it's good to be with you here this morning. Uh, we are continuing, we are finishing our study in Habakkuk. I'm very grateful uh, to Jerome Douglas for his uh, bringing the word to us these past two Sundays and reminding us of, of the wonders of God in the book of Habakkuk and particularly remembering who God is and his wrath and his mercy. Um, you'll remember this is the, the, the end of the story of Habakkuk that we know of in Scripture, and yet, uh, I'm just going to turn this down. This is the end of the story of Habakkuk as we know it in, in, in the story of Scripture, but it's not the end of the story of the Israelites. We know that eventually the Chaldeans do come. They take the people of God away into Babylon, into captivity. Um, Habakkuk faced that, likely went with uh, the other prophet, Jeremiah, off into captivity. And so he saw this. He saw it and he was, uh, he was trembling. You'll remember that that's how the text ended last week. He was trembling. And yet we come to the text this morning at the end of this book, and he says, yes, but I rejoice. But I rejoice. And so we're going to look uh, today at uh, Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 17 to 19, and try to understand how it is that in the face of this terror and judgment and wrath, even knowing that salvation may come some point down the line, and yet he's able in the moment to rejoice. So with that, let's turn to our text. It's Habakkuk uh, chapter 3, verses 17 to 19. Hear God's word. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on the high places. To the choir master with stringed instruments. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we confess that it's hard to imagine rejoicing in such a situation. Um, And yet, Lord, you promise joy. You give joy. You help us to rejoice in all circumstances. And so, Lord, restore to us the joy of our salvation this morning as we study your word. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. At my community group this past week and at uh, Jerome's community group, the West Harper community group, uh, I had the opportunity to kind of preview this text. And I did basically, well, we looked at the text, but I did ask three basic questions to to each group. And I was encouraged. I was using them as uh, information for my sermon because I, I was struggling. I have been struggling with this idea of joy in the Lord. Um, wondering how to foster it. And so I asked these these Christian brothers and sisters, first, what is joy? Second, why do we struggle to have joy? And third, how do we foster joy? Right? And they gave such, both groups gave such 
uh, encouraging, wise, godly uh, information for me and encouragement to me. And I ask these questions, like I said, because I, I personally often find joy elusive. Now, I want to be clear, don't get me wrong. Um, I'm not a morose person. <laughs> if you're around me, I, don't, I, I smile, I laugh, I like to play. Uh, there's many things that I enjoy in life. In fact, I find lots of joy in things like playing basketball on Saturday mornings or painting or fishing or playing games with my kids or going out to dinner with my wife, going out in the ocean in a boat. That's always gives me joy, taking a hike in the woods. Uh, to quote Maria from The Sound of Music, these are a few of my favorite things, right? right? And while I love Maria's advice, right? Simply remember, no, I'm not going to try to say <laughs> Simply remember your favorite things and things won't feel so bad. That lasts for like a second. If all you're doing is thinking about the hobby that you love or the person you love to be with that isn't around or you think about those things that give you joy, it might bring up some feelings, some sentiment and reminders, but sometimes it has the opposite effect, doesn't it? I don't have them now. It makes your longing even greater, heartache even more. Joy can be elusive. And it's in those moments in between those temporary earthly pleasures that anxiety, anxiousness often creeps in. Sometimes in those in-between moments, I get a little down, overwhelmed by the situations that I'm faced with, frustrated. Am I the only one that gets frustrated? Sometimes frustration even moves into resentment and anger and irritation and annoyance and being short-tempered and angry. And sometimes I even start to slip into bitterness. And these feelings, just to name a few, they just bubble up. I don't have to think about it. They just come on. It's like, it's like a wave surging in us, isn't it? It just comes up. Joy is sometimes like that, but often it's elusive. Those things are under the surface even when we are enjoying things. Have you ever noticed it? Have you ever been doing something you absolutely love to do, and you're sitting there, and you're thinking to yourself, this is so fun. Oh, but man, that thing that I need to take care of or that problem that's facing me in my life, it just is ruining the moment. Stunned to the surface, right? Those niggling feelings of sadness and hurts and frustration, they linger around the edges of our sadness, of our happiness, and they threaten to flood in. It seems that we, we have to strive and fight for joy while all those other feelings just come up. And yet here is Habakkuk saying in the midst of the terrifying events that are about to transpire, he's saying, yet I will rejoice. Not only is he currently 
facing the unrighteousness and sin of his own people and the injustices that are ongoing in the midst of the people of God, but he's looking out at the marching army of the Chaldeans coming up to the gates of Jerusalem, and he's ready for the onslaught, and he's trembling, and he's quaking, and he's in fear. And in the midst of this, he says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. To sum up his sentiments here in these last few verses, he's saying, though everything is terrible, yet I will rejoice in God my Savior. All right, Habakkuk, teach us. Help, help me. Help me. Help us. How are we able to rejoice in the face of such calamity? And this is what I want us to explore this morning, particularly the source of Habakkuk's joy. That is his joy in God, his Savior. That's a key thing. And I want us to do this so that we can say with Habakkuk, though everything is terrible, yet I will rejoice in God my Savior. And we're going to re- look at this in three, three parts this morning. First, I want to acknowledge pain and suffering is real. All right. Second, I want us to see joy in the Lord. Focus on that concept of what it means to have joy in the Lord. And then thirdly and finally, joy in salvation. Thinking about that heartbeat of joy salvation we receive. All right. So first, pain and suffering is real. And maybe that's so obvious I don't need to state it because we all experience it to some degree or another. I just went through all the feelings and stuff. But, but maybe I'm wrong. I'm about to say something. Maybe I'm wrong about this. So bear with me. If I am, you can disagree with me. You can tell me afterward. I, I get it completely wrong. But it seems to me that when Hollywood, or maybe just say the world in general, wants to sort of poke fun at Christians when they picture them on TV or in the movies, that often they're poking fun at Christian joy. I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's just my experience of watching shows. When I see a Christian, they often have a caricature of a Christian. Maybe, maybe if you've ever watched The Simpsons, you have The Simpsons' friendly neighbor, who is Ned Flanders. Ned Flanders, was, he's always upbeat and joyful. It drives Homer Simpson crazy. He's just always happy and always, you know, cheerful. And I believe part of the reason Christians get poked fun of, made fun of for their, this sort of joy is that Christian joy by its very nature is a unique gift. It's a gift of the Holy Spirit. And it can't really be experienced without faith. And so it's only natural that people that don't understand something like Habakkuk look on it and say, that's just crazy. They can't help it. So, and I'm going to come back to this. I want to show the uniqueness of Christian joy. We'll look at that in points two and three. But there's a second reason that I think sometimes we get poked fun of as Christians. And that's because we sometimes seem to, I'm using a lot of qualifiers, disregard circumstances. What do I mean? Scripture teaches us 
to rejoice in suffering. And, and, a, and a conscientious Christian knows, even though I'm suffering, I ought to be rejoicing. The problem is, occasionally, again, qualifying, rather than dealing honestly with suffering or sin or pain or heartache or terror or injustice or whatever, we pretend to be happy. Sometimes. Because we think it's the correct attitude to have, right? So non-Christians look on this and they say, eh, doesn't pass the smell test. Your happiness doesn't seem real. And we even notice this sometimes when we're talking to a Christian brother or sister and they're trying to put a good face on something. And they're saying the right words. Maybe you've done this. I know that I've done this. I've said the right words. But inside, I'm grieving. And I'm in pain. But I want us to look at our text. Notice in our text the description of the circumstances Habakkuk and the people of God are facing here. It says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor the fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive olive fail, the yields... Uh, the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Uh, that's a pretty awful picture, right? Uh, things are not good. I, I think in our community group, we, we, we talked about how it, it seems like people are starving. Um, I think what Habakkuk is doing here is he's painting a picture for us of what it means to leave or to not have the 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 blessings and the presence of God. You'll remember if we go back into Israelite history, when they approach the promised land, the promised land is a land flowing with milk and honey. It was a land of fruitfulness and of blessing. It was a place where the the fruit, you know, remember that they come back from, from spying out the land and they have these grapes. They're just overwhelmingly large bunches of grapes. It's a land of blessing given to the people of God to be a blessing. And what Habakkuk, I think, is thinking about, he's thinking about that blessing being removed. God's pleasure in giving them these good gifts being removed for a time. In fact, not only do the blessings kind of get pulled away from them, but in fact, they get pulled away from the blessings, right? They get taken off into captivity. And so he's thinking about what it means to be outside of that sort of blessings and provision of God, to be in a place of hardship and suffering. And so for him, for Habakkuk, he is looking at the way things uh, are going to be, and he is trembling. You've got to remember, he said that in the very uh, previous verse, the verse that, uh, right before um, Uh, Our text, verse 16, it says, I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. As he considers what the Lord is about to do, he is overwhelmed with grief and fear and trembling. Not only that, pain and suffering is real. But notice this in our text Uh, verse 17 is about twice as long as the other two verses, each each of those verses, right? So verse 17 is 
more than twice as long as verse 18 and uh, about twice as long as verse 19. What is that, just from a sort of a literary structure point of view, what does that tell us? Well, I think he's trying to say, there's going, this is a lot. This is, this is overwhelming. This is difficult. The psalmist often reflects on this. We read uh, one psalm in particular uh, this, this morning that I just want to look at. If you flip over in your bulletins, um, you'll notice the psalmist here longing for God. He says, as a deer pants for flowing streams. I, I think I, um, when, I, when I was going through my psalm study, I noted here that that sounds very quaint and cute. Oh, the, the deer is panting for water. No, when a deer is panting for water, that means the deer is, is dying. It's in a desert place. It has nothing. It's, it's not good. And he's saying, that's how my soul thirsts for you, the living God. And he says, my tears have been my food day and night, while the people around me are saying, where is your God? Oftentimes, that is the reality of the Christian life. And I think it's important that we're honest about it. The, the world may look on us and say to you, uh, I don't understand Christian joy. And they can't, maybe. That's, that's okay. Then we have an opportunity. Well, yes, life is hard. Suffering is hard. I face these grievous things. But you know what? I'm rejoicing and I'm I'm struggling with the things that I'm facing, but I'm rejoicing because of God, my Savior, and we have an opportunity to share the gospel. But if you just come off as like, eh, the world doesn't exist, it doesn't ring true. It doesn't ring true. Weeping is a part of this life. Sometimes we need to be reminded that what we're facing is real, whether it's a grief of loss, whether it's a struggle against our sin, whether it is an injustice done to us or to another, whatever suffering we have. I'm going to talk about how we might have joy in the midst of these things, but as Christians, let us be known for that genuine joy in the Lord. It's a gift of God, and not for being like the ostrich who sticks. I don't know if they actually do this. I feel like my son told me once they don't. So he's shaking his head. They don't do this. But anyway, in my, in my you know, growing up age, maybe it was an Aesop's fable. I don't know where it came from, but the ostrich buries his head in the sand right, to ignore the world around him. Sometimes we can do that. I think we need to be honest, honest before God and with one another about our challenges. Pain and suffering is real. Nevertheless, we can, in fact, rejoice in the Lord no matter the circumstance. And that's the next point here. We can have joy in the Lord. So we haven't yet defined joy. That, that might be helpful. And I, I think we can talk about joy as an emotion, as a feeling, right? Uh, we can talk about it as that just uprising sense of pleasure and delight that you, you know it. You know it when you are sitting with your new baby and you are sitting there and you're holding that little girl and you're saying, what? <laughs> There's joy. 
Or you can sit there with a friend as you have just done some amazing feat and you look into each other and say, look what we accomplished. Or you can sit there at work and you've done a good job. You can rejoice. Like, we, we know the feeling, all right? So I don't need to go into too more, many more details about that emotion of happiness. But as soon as you say that this is what Christian joy is, you realize that there's something more to it than just being happy. There's something more to joy than just that feeling of happiness. And the reason I say that is because I don't think that Habakkuk, in the midst of the sorrow and terror that he feels, necessarily is is jumping for joy in the way that we think of those experiences. But there is still joy. Jesus said before he went for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. There was an endurance that he went through, but there was joy. And so joy has to be more. It's to be deeper. So what is it? Well, let's look at Habakkuk's joy to help us understand the nature of Christian joy. First, And foremost, it is in the Lord. It is in the Lord. He says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. You'll remember if we go back to chapter 1 of Habakkuk, Habakkuk has a complaint, right? We we looked at the complaint. Lord, where are you? Where have you been? (laughs) The people are, are, are wicked. They're doing evil. Where are you? How long, O Lord, are you going to let this go on? And the Lord reveals himself to Habakkuk. He says, look, wonder, be astounded at what I'm about to do. And then he describes, of course, the wonder that he's going to do, which is bring the Chaldeans to judge God's people. And Habakkuk responds to this. He says about God, he says, God, you are from everlasting. God, you are the Holy One. O Lord, You are the rock. It's interesting. And of course, he's the judge. God goes on, and we learn about how he isn't slow to act, right? So Habakkuk makes his second complaint. God says to him, listen, I'm not slow, as some people say, slowness, count slowness. I am not slow to act. I will act. It's what I'm going to do. I am faithful. Then he says, all the the whole earth's going to be filled with my glory. Everyone is going to be silent before me. I'm going to judge uh, the nation of Babylon, this great, powerful nation that thinks that they have all strength. I'm going to show them who's king. I'm a God of wrath, and I'm a God of mercy. The Lord reveals himself to Habakkuk. What are some of the things that we learn about the person, the character of God? Who is God? First, I think maybe the most fundamental thing when we are thinking about what does it mean to consider how to have joy, we have to recognize who the Lord is. He is the King of Kings. He is the creator of heaven and earth. He is the one who rules over the nations. He is the one who takes those justices, those injustices, and brings about judgments to make them right. He is the one who in his judgment brings mercy. He is the one who 
though we don't deserve mercy, shows his steadfast love and faithfulness. He is the one who redeems. One other aspect, as as Habakkuk is reflecting on who the Lord is, is that he calls him the Lord, Yahweh. Now, whenever we see this name, you can call God by many names, and he has quite a few names, but this one, this particular name, it's often capitalized in your your translations with small caps. Uh, It refers to the covenantal name of God. What does that mean? It means that he not only sees God for who he is and his character. I really appreciate it, by the way, uh, us reading from the Westminster Confession, in particular, or Catechism, and particularly for John for slowing us down in that, where it says God is a spirit. He is a spirit. He's everywhere. He is infinite. There's no end to him. He is eternal. He is the everlasting God. He doesn't change in his being. He's always the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the same in wisdom, always knowing, always perfectly applying. He is a God of power. He is not weak. He is a God of holiness. He is not able to endure sin in his presence, and yet he is a God of mercy and justice, and goodness, and truth. As we reflect on all these characteristics of God, it starts to overwhelm us. Who are we? Who who am I? And what Habakkuk is saying is, despite the fact that God, you are this great God who is far above all others, who will sit enthroned and all the earth will be silent and the earth will be filled with his glory, he says, who are you, O Lord? But you're the God who made relationship with me. It's a God who loves me. You are my God. When we think about what it means to have Christian joy, it begins with these things. Knowing who God is. It's the great God and creator, the Holy One of Israel. But who is our God? Who loves us. start to understand the nature of joy. And this is what causes him to say, I will rejoice in the Lord, covenant God. I will rejoice in God, my Savior, my salvation. So what is joy? Joy is knowing God, his character, his actions, his faithfulness. His love. For some of you here this morning, you're just learning about this God. You're just starting to come to this comprehension. You're like, yeah, who is this? What do you mean he's this holy God and he's this just God and he's a God of wrath? Really? Is he good? Is he powerful? What's he like? I want you to just take a moment to consider. This God who rules over all, who does not abide sin, is a God who comes down and he takes broken sinners like you and me and he brings them into relationship with himself through Jesus. 
He's a God who forgives sin. We'll come back to that idea in just a minute. But if, if you're here this morning, you're considering who is this God? Know this. He is a God of wrath. He's a God of justice. He's a God who has mercy. Consider what it would mean to put your faith in a God. And I promise you, you will understand Christian joy. A believer, you who, like me, sometimes struggle with joy. I think part of our issue is that we forget our God. I do. I forget who this God is. I forget what he's like. I forget his love. I forget his mercy. I forget his holiness. I forget his justice. I forget his power. I want to go back to Rome's sermon. One way that we can help ourselves with this is starting to remember, right? And it's not just remembering his character, but it's actually going back and thinking about the ancient Israelites, it's thinking about the apostles, but then it's thinking about everything we're talking about in church history, but then it comes closer to home and it's thinking about your own life, how God took you. Maybe you grew up as a little baby in the Lord and he protected you and he sheltered you and maybe you wrestled with him at times, but you never knew a day that you didn't know him. What preserving grace of God in your life. Or maybe, maybe you came to faith in a way that that you didn't know God, but he reached down and said, I will reveal myself to you and I'm going to break you and I'm going to remold you and I'm going to reshape you and I'm going to redeem you and I'm going to forgive you and I'm going to love you. Let's remember our God. We can do that together, can't we? One of the, one of the joys I had, and it was a joy, was sitting at Friendsgiving with a bunch of you and sitting around and just rejoicing with you about who God is, encouraging one another to rejoice. And what a time we have. This is not a Thanksgiving sermon. This came up by natural, but this is the time of year when as a nation we stop and we give thanks for who God is and what he's done. And don't forget, that's Thanksgiving, thanking God for who he is and what he's done. But to be honest, we can't have joy in the Lord unless we see that he is the God of our salvation. This is my last point in conclusion. Joy in salvation. You remember, go back to Habakkuk chapter 2. Habakkuk had complained the second time, and the Lord is responding to him. He says, I'm not going to be slow. Wait for it. It's coming. I'm going to show you myself. I'm going to answer your questions. I'm going to reveal to you judgment and mercy. But in the middle of that, He says, the righteous shall live by faith. I slowed that down because I think sometimes, I already said this in my sermon on the righteous shall live by faith, but we think of it as um, sort of life. And, And I want us to think sort of living the way we live, we live by faith, which is true. 
but I want us to say that we live by faith. If there's anything that we that comes across in this little uh, prophet Habakkuk is that um, there will be death, there will be destruction. Woe to the Chaldeans. They are going to be destroyed utterly. Woe to the Israelites. Honestly, you also are going to be wiped away in a, in a sense, not totally, but you're going to be brought into exile. But there's a real sense in which uh, death is all throughout the book of Habakkuk. And I think we fail to recognize the wonder of God's love and the joy of salvation unless we are honest with ourselves about the nature of our sin and what it deserves. Friends, Apostle Paul says the wages of sin is death. What does that mean? Well, Adam and Eve in the garden were told that if you eat the fruit of this tree of knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. And then immediately following that, they were, of course, uh, of course, kicked out of the Garden of Eden. Um, and they maybe for a time, maybe they thought, oh, death isn't all that bad. I mean, we don't get to live in the Garden of Eden. But the reality is much worse because not only did death and fall come to the earth and all the toil and trials of the world come to the earth, but in the midst of that, they die. All of us, lest the Lord comes tomorrow or in the near future, all of us die. It's a result of the fall. It's a result of sin. And why is that? Well, that's because, again, going back to the character of God, we have a God who is a God of of, of righteousness, of holiness, of justice. He's a God who, who cannot abide sin and who will judge. We've got to come to terms with this. When we sin, that's sin. doesn't matter how small, how great. It's, it's a condemnation. It's a death sentence. But here's the good news, right? Here's the joy of our salvation. Here's, here's what Habakkuk looked forward to. He says, you and you, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. In the face of all this, he sets me up on high and I leap for joy. Why? Because I am bought by the blood of the Lamb. He doesn't know that. He doesn't understand it fully. But this is the wonder of God's love is that because of our sin, he sends a savior, his only begotten son, the righteous one, who for the joy set before him endures the cross and the shame and goes through all the trials and temptations that we go through. And yet he doesn't sin. He faces the horror of the cross and he bears that penalty, the wrath of God, that it, the same wrath that was going towards these uh, Chaldeans is the same wrath that we deserve. And yet it's poured out on Jesus. Isaac, uh, he's not here this morning. But Isaac at our community group reminded me something that was so significant and often overlooked. 
We're talking about what prevents joy. What prevents this kind of joy in the Lord? And he says, Rob, unrepentant sin. But here's the good news, right? This is, this is the wonder of the gospel that we can take our sin and we can bring it to the Lord and he forgives us our sin and he says, you are my child, my son, I love you. You are forgiven. Now, is there anything in the world greater than that, knowing that you, a broken sinner, deserving the wrath of God, are forgiven? You are loved. And because you are loved and forgiven, you enjoy all the benefits of salvation. What does that mean? It means you are called a child of God, a son of God, co-heir with Christ. You receive the very presence of his spirit in your heart that transforms you, that changes you daily so that you have the power then to say no to sin and yes to life. You get to run like a deer. He gives you strength power of God unto holiness. He gives you joy. The other piece to this whole thing uh, that, 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 that I'm going to uh, thank Glenn uh, for this little piece because this is very much tied to that forgiveness. What gives us joy is when we enjoy God's pleasure of us. God loves you. He finds delight in you. He rejoices over you. Broken sinner, there's nothing more astounding than that. What an amazing God we have. Going all the way back, how do we find joy in times of trial and suffering? We have this joy of salvation yeah, it's mixed with tears. This side of glory, it is mixed with tears and sorrow. But we can, with Paul, say, For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revelation of the sons of God. We have joy because we have hope. That this is not the end of the story. Our sin, our toil, our conflict, our struggles, the injustices that we face, the, the grief that we feel, the, the frustrations, all the stuff that attend to this life are part of the, the fall. But there is a day coming when the Lord returns and he makes all things new and he takes away all those tears. We rejoice because we belong to God and he finds pleasure we are forgiven, and we look forward to a world where these temporary afflictions are no more. Let's rejoice together. Let's pray.